Lafondra looking to get side of Font. Lafondra away from David. 3-1 running. Three points running. Hello and welcome to Elm Park Royals, your favourite Reading FC podcast supported by Blue Collar Foods. I'm Jess Charman today, joined by Alex and Hugh. Firstly, Alex, how are you doing today? Uh, I've been worse. You know, draw yesterday, it, it could have been worse. So I'm not too bad, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. Q, want to bring a little bit more positivity or still feeling a bit eh as well? Um, still feeling a bit eh because I'm worried I'm not going to be able to get Huddersfield tickets by the time we finish recording this. So, um, But no, no, doing all right after after the game yesterday. I think we all expected a defeat. So good to at least be talking about one point gained. We will be indeed talking about that one point gained against Luton Town, but Reading FC may have a couple of villains to talk about as well when it comes to the fact that they did have a 1-0 lead. But let's go from the very beginning. Noel Hunt's starting lineup, one change with Andy Carroll, who will get some talking points later on, comes in to replace Air Herbisherman. And that is the last time I will attempt that name. Alex, what did you think of the lineup and the fact that there was only one change? I think it was a pretty good attempt, in all honesty, at that name. <laughs> um, yeah, I think you couldn't really change it, right, from Saturday. Um, we, we did quite well against Burnley. Everybody seemed to be pretty content with how we played against them. Um, but a lot of that, I think, was down to the fact that we played Zhao and Air Habishman up front together. So I can kind of understand bringing in Carroll because do you want to play an 18, 19-year-old youngster starting him two games in a row? Maybe not. So I, I can kind of understand why Carroll came in, but I do think it kind of impacts our style quite a lot when you when you start Carroll. Um, however, yesterday it did feel a bit different because we weren't just pumping balls long to him for 90 minutes. Hugh, what do you think Noel Hunt saw in Andy Carroll that meant that he got the nod to begin this match? I think a lot of our play against Burnley seemed to be down the wings, and especially with um, the resurgence of Femi Aziz, the logic was if we can get the ball into the box, then Carroll's a weapon to have at that point. And it did seem like, whereas in previous games under previous manager who shall not be named on this podcast, we don't need that level of negativity, there'd be a huge gap between Carroll and the midfield. Now it seems to be that the team moves as one. So he was actually in the box for the crosses coming in. I mean, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about with a lot of the chances seemed to fall right to him uh, yesterday. I think one of my biggest criticisms under Tom Ince, oh, under Ince, sorry, I did only want to talk about one Ince in this one, under Ince was the fact if you're playing hoof ball, if you're playing long ball with Andy Carroll, you have to be better at second balls. We were not very good at second balls under the former manager, doing a little bit better. Momentum in this game, beginning strong. Looked like we came out of that first half feeling ourselves that was a golden opportunity, Alex. What did Carroll do wrong with that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, it's what, 90 seconds into the game and get a good ball in from Aziz, pretty well worked down the right-hand side. And I think Zhao kind of goes to control it, doesn't really, and it kind of flows through to Carroll, who's completely unmarked at the back post. I think he's just panicked and stabbed at it with his left foot. And instead of getting anywhere with his knee over the ball or looking to where he was trying to hit that. He's just just struck at it without really any thought as to where he's going to put it. And I think that miss is it's a really bad miss, really, really poor. Uh, watching the replay of it, it looks even worse than it did live. I think that's a you know massive opportunity in the first minute at home against a team who are, you know, 10 unbeaten. 
and you've got your, you know, probably main striker, second choice striker, and he's missed a golden opportunity. It really awful start, I think. And it felt like foreshadowing for the night that was to come for Andy Carroll. Hugh, was it encouraging at least that Reading FC was creating an opportunity of their own? Yeah, for sure, because we've watched so many games this season where we haven't even created any opportunities. And it seemed like there were at least, like you said, patterns of play to the way we were trying to attack. So it was, it was encouraging, and it, especially because we were playing a team who, like Alex just mentioned, they're 10 games unbeaten. If if we hadn't had Noel Hunt in charge, I have no doubt this is a game we'd have lost 2-3-0 comfortably. But we looked like, and we looked like we wanted to go in there a bit fearless, which... Sometimes teams in a relegation battle look a bit rabbit in the headlights, but it's definitely, I'm feeling much more positive about our chances for for the remaining three games than I did um, when I walked out of Ashton Gate, that's for sure. Something that's not so positive is the fact that Andy Carroll picks up an early yellow card for an a interesting you know, foul in terms of the ball being given away before getting to him. Alex, what did you make of the first yellow card? Yeah, the I mean the first what fifteen minutes up until this yellow card, I, I I kind of agree with you. We were very it was very encouraging for the first fifteen minutes, and then as soon as this yellow card happens, it seems like it just completely flicks the switch and and Luton turned it on. Um, it's a poor piece of control from Andy Carroll. I don't know whether he's looking to try and knock it back to the to the player next to him, um, or whether it's just a bad touch. But he chases the ball down as he's sometimes prone to do. And puts in a pretty poor challenge from behind. Probably a deserved yellow card. Um, I don't really think anybody can have too many complaints of it. He doesn't win the ball. And Luton go on to, you know, strike the post from that very free kick. So it it's frustrating because it, it, it feels like one of those yellow cards that you just don't need to pick up. And it feels like it's part of Andy Carroll's game, right? I think there's been many a time while he's been wearing a Reading FC jersey that he kind of gets into these fights his physicality, trying to sort of display how big and strong he is, and then he ends up losing the battle. Hugh, you think it was a, a, a unnecessary foul, a silly foul from Andy Carroll? Yeah, I think as well he's someone that the referee always notices from minute one. He goes lumbering around, like every long ball goes to him. So the ref's having to watch Carroll's game very carefully. Like, it's very difficult for Carroll to go under the radar in a match. <laughs> so, it like... The only thing I'd argue with the yellow is it's so early in a game that sometimes you'll see a ref go, look, calm down, do that again, and then you're getting booked instead of going straight for yellow. And it felt like there were challenges that were sometimes just as bad from Luton but didn't get yellow cards is the only thing I'd say for the ref there. I think one of the things about Andy Carroll's game as well is that he runs, it, it, or at least it appears, like when he does make a mistake, uh, like losing the ball, he often feels like he has to make up for it immediately. Mm. Um, and, and that's part of the reason, I think, why he's, why he's chased the player down. Because he wants to try and make up for his immediate mistake. But oftentimes, it doesn't really help matters because he's running on adrenaline at that point. And I don't, you know, he can't defend. Let's be honest, he's not a very good tackler. We've seen that at Man United earlier this season. We saw it yesterday with that, that yellow card. It doesn't, like, if he makes a mistake, he needs to just kind of sometimes accept it and move on rather than trying to make up for it immediately and then making things worse. I think sometimes it's a level of accountability as a senior player wanting to lead by example. But unfortunately, 
You've got to know your ability as a player. You've got to know your strengths, your weaknesses, and giving away set pieces against Luton, who then go to hit the post from this set piece. Hugh, do you think it was some poor defending from this set piece to allow them the opportunity to sneak oh. that one in? I wouldn't say poor defending because it's, it's a close range free kick. We get up fairly quickly to the short because um, it's taken. They play a little one-two to open up the space. It's clearly one one they've worked on in training. It'd be nice to support a team that do work on their set pieces in training. And we definitely get away with one as well because the rebound falls straight to a Luton player and it kind of scuffs off his foot and back to Lumley. It really should have like did go up. Watching on the broadcast, offside flag did go up. Oh, did it? Oh, fair enough. Yep. Yeah, but but still, it was it was a very good opportunity for for Luton that one. But I wouldn't be. Sometimes you just got praised for your position for for creating a good chance. I think. Alex, were you very relieved when it hit that post? I didn't see the offside flag, so I, I guess I'm slightly less relieved than, than I was. But yeah, it, it because it did feel like one of those games where. If Luton scored first, I think we really probably would have struggled because they just, they, it felt like after that point, they really had us worked out in that first half and they just had us pending completely. Um, so it was, yeah, great that they hadn't taken the lead from that. And we know that Luton carried on building in confidence before the halftime break, having another couple of opportunities. Nabi Saar comes up big with a block. What did we think of the defensive unity so far under Noel Hunt, Hugh? Do we think it's improved? It seems less hectic. I know it was like a last-ditch block from Saab, but it just seems... Everyone seems more organised. I feel more relaxed watching this this Null Hunt team than, like... I always compared it to watching Reading was, like, from kickoff under Ince, we would play 85th-minute, 1-0-up football from the very first minute. It was all very panicked, like, bodies having to be thrown on the line. But I just feel a bit reassured that everyone knows their role. Like, Yeardom's a completely different player mm. to the player we saw at Preston. Um, he had a brilliant game yesterday, I thought. Nesta Guinness-Walker, who we've been told all season can't actually defend, puts in a, a great performance. I wouldn't say anyone really in that back four played badly last night against a team who, who are quite proficient in front of goal. Alex, I saw you nodding uh, about a couple of those players, a couple of those statements. Can you elaborate your feelings on a defensive line? I think, yeah, Saar Sar has been much better at the last four or five games, ironically, when we haven't actually managed to pick up any wins. But I think he's been far improved um, the last few weeks, despite the fact that we're not necessarily keeping clean. I mean, we kept a clean sheet against Burnley, granted, but... It's, it's an odd one because I think we're still conceding chances, but it, as Hugh says, it doesn't feel quite as hectic. It doesn't feel like we're just handing the game to the opposition the whole time because of the fact that our defence feels more organised. Um, so, yeah, I'd agree. I think Yedon has been far, far better once we've moved back to a back four as well. Um, I mean, I, I really criticised him after the Preston game when he played at right wing back, but... Putting him back to like the right side of a four, he he looks a completely different player um, playing there, and it's yeah, it's it's good to see that we seem to have got a settled back four now as well. And and I think as well, just on that, because we attack in the game and we're creating chances too, because it was constant pressure in previous matches, 
it was just like the fans, I think, were thinking, oh, my God, when are the other team going to score and just put us out of our misery here? <laughs> now we're going into games thinking, well, if we can weather this 10-minute storm, we might come out of this and actually nick a goal and then nick a 1-0 win. We're not quite so reliant on them all playing the perfect game, I think, mm. is, is the thing I've noticed in the last two games. Even though we have given up chances, we're not quite as reliant on on Holmes and Saar and, and Guinness Walker all having these fantastic games. If they do have a good game, that's great. But if they don't, I don't feel like we're just suddenly going to give up. I think we talked about that, Alex, last time I was on the podcast, how our defence kind of was playing so nervously because they felt like if they conceded a goal, it was doomsday, you know? And I know as a defensive player throughout my whole career, when you're playing with that burden on your shoulders, you're not able to relax and play the football you want to because you're well aware if you concede a goal, it's game over. So perhaps our defenders are playing a little bit more relaxed because they feel like they have support from other areas of the pitch. And also maybe they're not going to get thrown under the bus at the end of a game as well, which is a huge deal for players to feel like they have belief. And I know that there were some comments post-game from our players that we'll get into later on. Halftime, we go in at nil-nil. What was the feeling, the emotions like in the stadium, Hugh? Did it feel like it was a good result going at nil-nil and that we were going to come out of the second half? Or was it pretty squeaky bum time for Reading fans? Um, I was watching from home, so so the emotion at home was I'm going to go put the kettle on for a cup of tea, so I will defer that one to Alex. Um, I'll say it was squeaky bum time in the ground because at that point, I think QPR were winning um, and Cardiff were winning. And even though we were picking up a point, it felt like it was not a good point at that moment in time because of the fact that we were just dropping points on everybody else still. Um, and ultimately, the half an hour preceding the, third, like, preceding the halftime whistle, it felt like Luton had completely dominated the game as well. Um, I guess it was one of those games where you just felt like it was inevitable that we were going to concede at some point uh, unless something changed at halftime. I was, a, I was a little surprised they didn't make any subs at halftime, actually, because the left-hand side yesterday was, in the first half particularly, it just wasn't an outlet for us. Um, Fauna really struggled on the left wing. Just had his, I mean, he has no left foot. It, it, I get the fact that we don't have any players to play there at the minute, but we've looked such a different side if, if Mate or Ince or even Hoylet was fit at the moment, I think. 100%. But... Reading did something that they don't usually do or they hadn't usually done and came out of a second half bright and looking exciting, looking confident. And we get the goal from a set piece, from a corner kick. Andy Carroll comes in with the big header. How was the emotion cue and what a great set play it was? Yeah, I mean, I was amazed Luton didn't pick him up for the corner because he essentially has a free header. Um, the chance as well that Zhao creates for himself uh, before the goal, where he kind of curls a shot towards the bottom corner, I think just highlights how criminal it is, how little we've seen of Zhao this season, because he is that man who can just pick the ball up from nowhere, drift past two players and have a shot on target. We have so few players in our team who can do something like that. So to leave Zhao on the bench in so many games this season and only use him for 15, 20 minutes at the end is is a absolutely criminal um and yeah brilliant brilliant header from from carol glad he um actually headed this one <laughs> as i'm sure we'll go on to mention about what happened five minutes later alex reading sitting 19th in the table after having that goal and being in a winning position what were your takings of the finish and the goal 
it was a good header. Um, as you said, I'm very surprised that they kind of just let him run free. I think Saar kind of takes two players with him. Um, and it's a, a good run kind of round the back of Nabi Saar by, by Carroll to get into some open space. And it, it's a good goal. Um, you know, credit to Carroll. It's, it's a good header. The irony of Noel Hunt's kind of first goal as Reading boss being a set piece with an Andy Carroll header, it, it can't really be lost on anybody, I'm sure, either. Reading FC with the 1-0 lead. And it looked like things had got even better with Andy Carroll seeming to head it in for a second time. And they left him in a little bit more space here. However, after the goal celebrations, we heard a whistle and everyone was confused. I was listening to Radio Box. Nobody knew what was going on until a second yellow card was shown to Andy Carroll. Having seen the replay, it is a hand of God from Andy Carroll what was he thinking? And I've heard Noel Hunt's comments. I've heard him try and defend that he didn't know what he was doing. I'll, I'll add this, Alex. Even if he didn't know what he was doing, the fact that he goes and celebrates it like he scored a header kind of doesn't sit 100% with me. Is he the villain or did he almost get away with giving Reading a two-goal cushion? Um, I, I mean, there's, two, there's definitely two sides to it, right? There's one side which I've seen some people try to say that if, if he'd scored with his hand and he got away with it, then we'd all be celebrating. And yes, of course, that it would be the case, but that isn't what happened. He's put it in with his hand. He's led with his hand. He's quite a long way away it, from... His hand is outside his body by a lot. Like, it's... That, that, it's not bounced off his hand, has it? Like, if, if, it's, if it's bounced off his hand and his hand is, you know, by his face or something, maybe I could understand a bit more, but it's, his hand is like an arm stretch out from from where his head is so it's not as if he's even close to being able to head of the ball in there um yeah last night i was i was absolutely raging at mm -hmm. that because it seems so selfish to 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 do that as an action it, I, I understand that he said it's accidental or unintentional or whatever wording hunt and him choose to use but i i just can't see the how that is unintentional it just doesn't the video you watch it and if it was unintentional we'd see players doing that much more often than that. Like that. i'm sorry uh the, the the trying to defend him by saying how where's his hand supposed to be when he's jumped well his hands are supposed to be pushing him up like you jump with your arms but you don't jump with your arms reaching out i think that's a poor poor attempt to protect these players but i guess it's refreshing to see a coach protect their players maybe hugh you were watching it on the TV. You got the replay right away. Yeah. What were you thinking that Reading's most experienced player is making this decision while on a yellow card as well? I think the fact he was on the yellow card made it seem extremely mad. And, and like you're saying, if it's unintentional, then it probably just flicks off his hand and goes behind for a goal kick or it doesn't make a clean connection. He has properly pushed it into the back of the net with his hand, like, there's, he's clearly gone in for it. So it seemed like a very kind of half apology we got after the game, and and it seemed daft. Because on, on first viewing, I couldn't really tell what had happened. My, my first thought was it looked almost like the, the corner had just gone straight in because Aziz played it very, very close to the keeper. And then you watch for replays as well. Saar's right behind Carroll, so there potentially wasn't even the need for for Carroll to go for it there. It could have still still been a goal. But then, yeah, you watch it back and the reaction from the Luton players, I think, tells you straight away. Like, there are some moments in football you'll see the odd player throw their arms in the air, 
just to try and get something. But there are moments where you know a referee's been conned as well from the stands or on TV. Like, even if you're in the stands, you know a referee's been conned if he'd given the goal just mm -hmm. by the reaction of the Luton players because you don't react that way unless you feel like you've been, you're going to have been completely hard done by. They immediately kind of like five of them go pairing after the mm -hmm. referee and justified, to be honest, because if he hadn't given that, it, it reminded me of um, quite a throwback, this one. Papi Cisse scored one like that for Newcastle against us right in front of Y26 when we were in the Premier League. We drew 2-2 two -two at home with them and he punched one into the net and we were absolutely livid that it got given. Wouldn't have a chance getting it given now with VAR, but I just, yeah, moment of madness from Carroll. Don't know what he was thinking. One of the things about it that really frustrates me is that Carroll is meant to be one of the leaders of the team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's meant to be one of the senior experienced pros who's you know, assisting some of the youngsters in in leading them out of this relegation battle. And yet he's got himself sent off in a critical time of, you know, a relegation battle after just scoring, knowing he's on a yellow card um, and having already been sent off this season. He's now going to be suspended for two games and he's he's going to have had four, four suspended league games this season. As a striker, that seems absolutely nuts that you can miss 10% of the season because you've been suspended. Um, like, it's it's really disappointing. I'm not quite as, like, angry as I was last night about it all, but it, it's, yeah, really, really frustrating that he, he's made such kind of just, like, an idiotic decision at that moment in time. I tend to see A.D. Williams as a good voice of reason when he's on the broadcast with BBC Berkshire, and he said... If this was a young player, you'd be maybe giving them a bit of a let off as a young, inexperienced error. But for your leader, like you say, Alex, for your role model for these players to be doing that, it's inexcusable. It's disappointing. And it goes on to change the game, the course of the game completely. Absolutely changes the way we have to play. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing is, I, I think there's a lot of people who, or maybe not a lot, but there's definitely some people out there who, who like Andy Carroll. They think he's one of our you know, best, better players, et cetera, et cetera. It, and as you say, if it was a young player who did it, you'd, you'd maybe rally around and support them. But if it was somebody else who'd done that, if Jeff Hendrick had scored with his with his hand in, and done that yesterday and got himself sent off, he'd be getting absolutely he'd get absolutely hate off the fans. Mm -hmm. it, I can understand people's reaction to um, you know being annoyed and, and and giving him giving him stick online for it because it's a it's an, ultimately it's a, it could be a massive turning point in the, in the relegation battle and and it puts a lot of pressure on big kelvin for the next two two matches because if hunt is to stick with the 442 i don't know if maybe mate might be fit by the time yeah. we play wigan and and he could start up front alongside Zhao. but our options in in terms of playing the front two are limited right now to Zhao and, and big kelvin we're not going to see Shane Long again for the season. Yeah, Carroll has made a stupid mistake that not only could have cost us three points last night, but with the way he was playing, bringing Fauna, Aziz, Zhao into play yesterday, it could also cost us up at Coventry and at home to Wigan. Took the words out of my mouth, Hugh. Not only is it very detrimental for this game, but looking forward, detrimental as well. Let's talk about the impact it had on the remaining half an hour or so at the Madstad. Uh, Alex, what changed once we were down a player for Reading FC? It felt like we were going to be hanging on 
like it it felt really difficult to see what how we would pick up three points and i mean ultimately we didn't um over the last few years i feel like that's probably a game that we would have gone on and lost as well mm-hmm. going down to 10 men so you know massive credit to the players for, for digging in and actually i don't think that we played necessarily all that badly with 10 men um i don't think luton had loads of golden chances i don't think lumley made loads of great saves uh to keep us it you know to keep us ahead or i think and it wasn't i don't think the game necessarily shifted that much from what it was like in the first half um it was a lot of loot and kind of having the ball but not really not really creating very much absolutely not and like you alluded to alex eventually luton would get that chance hugh what did you see on the goal that reading fc conceded um I saw Joe Lumley completely lose sight of his bearings. Unfortunately, he has a mistake in him. Well, this one, I don't want to be too harsh on him because the ball does just ricochet up in the air and he just completely loses sight of it. And it's almost comical watching it on TV, the way he's kind of doing a completely 360 on the spot to try and figure out where on earth it's gone. And unfortunately for Reading, the ball has gone to about a yard from the line where I think, was it Carlton Morris got on the end of it in the end? He was he was winding up um, Tom Holmes as well, all game Carlton Morris. And it felt like as soon as we went ten man, uh, down to 10 men, he really upped it in terms of trying to kind of get on the wrong side of Holmes. There's a moment where he kind of gave him a little shove as well at a corner, I think. And yeah, eventually just got the better of us. Carlton Morris there with a goal from pretty much on the line. Alex, we've been too harsh to consider a goalkeeping error or you think it's down on Lumley that one? Mm, uh, maybe maybe half half an error, right? Like I don't necessarily think it's all down to Lumley that goal, but it, it, it he has lost the ball in midair. Um the yeah, as as Hugh said, it was quite comical watching him try and spin round, try and find the ball, had no idea where it was. Uh Guinness Walker was lost as well he had no idea what happened to it it it, it's a very unfortunate ricochet um but you know i hope you'd hope that a reading player might be able to get on the end of it once it goes up but it's you know once it's a yard out from goal carlton morris just can bundle through bundle through nabisar and it's it's in the back of the net um it's very difficult to defend it so it's it's kind of a partial error i think by lumley i don't i wouldn't put it all down to him but it's um yeah Bad luck as well. Bad luck and nine minutes to hang on for Reading FC plus stoppage time at this point. How do they manage to do it, Hugh? Is it a lot of time wasting? Is it putting bodies behind the line? Somehow they cling on to that point with 10 players. A lot of time wasting, especially from a mixture of Club 1871 and Joe Lumley. Uh, Lumley is the kind of master of those dark arts of falling on the ball. There's one point where... um, it bounced off the advertising hoardings and he just kind of flicked it back over the advertising boards into the crowd. So I think we just managed to stop Luton from getting any momentum, but all game as well. We didn't really restrict, we did restrict them to not too many clear cut chances. So I don't know, even at one all, I wasn't too worried about going on to lose the game. And we did have a a couple of chances um, towards the end. Kamara looked like a bright spark again, when when he came on for Fauna, so possibly one we'll see at Coventry if we want to go for 
a more natural winger starting out wide. It'll be interesting to see what, what Hunt does there. Alex, were you as confident as Hugh that we weren't going to concede again? Uh, it didn't feel quite as inevitable as it has done at points this season that we were going to concede, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure I was totally relaxed, but it one it did feel like the game was kind of petering out a bit to 1-1 in those last few minutes. So we finish up with the point. One question from me that I've noticed in the last two games, yes, we have two points, but we've held under 35% possession in both games. So not really doing too much with the ball. Does that concern us here or is it all just about picking up points no matter how much of the ball you touch at this point? I, I think we've, well, in one game, we've played the best possession side that the championship's ever seen in, in Burnley. So to get anything more than 20% of possession against Burnley was going to be an absolute mission. Um, I think as well, our style of play under Hunt seems like a kind of um, Diet Coke version of McDermott football from 11-12 because we don't have the players to quite do it. But we get it out wide and we try and move up the pitch very quickly. Now, if you do that, you're not going to have much possession anyway because it's all about kind of how quickly can you get it forward as opposed to let's keep it, let's be patient. Um so no, I'm I'm encouraged by the style of play. After just kind of 20 minutes of of watching um the game yesterday, I watched that my mate say it's so refreshing to see this style of play back at Reading to see a team that just goes for it. So I'm I'm not too worried. It'll be interesting to see how it works against teams that are less possession based than Luton and um Burnley have been, especially when we come up to play Wigan at home and it will just be a case of them saying to us, we'll go and break us down. And uh, I'd hope by the time we play Wigan as well, they'll have nothing to play for. So that'll be an interesting game um, at VSCO. Before we finish up, a couple of listener questions coming in. Thanks for sending these in. Mark kind of touches on that point and asks, how much have we really improved under Hunt so far? Last night's XG expected goals suggests we were fortunate to get away with a point. Alex, break that one down for us. We probably were fortunate in the in the sense of Luton were the better team. And if you had to pick a winner, yes, I would probably have said Luton would have deserved it. Um, it's difficult to judge how much better we are, I think, because of the fact that we've played Burnley and Luton and the hunt so far. It's, it's not as if we've played, as Hugh said, it's not as if we've played um, Wigan and, and Huddersfield and, and Rotherham. We've, we've played two of the better sides in the division. And actually, if we put those performances in against those two, and then we played well in other games against teams lower down on the table, then perhaps I, you would say, yes, he's improved us. Um, but also, he's only been there for, what, a week? Uh, how much improvement can you really expect him to have made in a week? Uh, it's it's difficult. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how much necessarily better the football is, but it's certainly um, more pleasing to watch. If that's you know if that's acceptable, mm -hmm. I, I get we're in the middle of a relegation battle, and it's not necessarily the priority, but it, it is it's better to watch, and maybe just seems like it will be less prone to failing. Also, based on Fauna's comments after the game, where he talks about being trusted, young players believing in themselves, it does feel like we're empowering our players, which is a huge way to get success out of them. Hugh, you sort of touched on uh, alluding to where we see the for, uh, formation go in the next couple of games. Andy asks, after Carol's moment of madness, Repay looks like he's in with his arm. Yes, Andy. 
if you watch it back, he definitely is. Do you go with Zhao and Air Herbishman together or individually with one as a sub and hope Meite may make an appearance at some point? Well, I think you go you go big Kelvin alongside Zhao and you play a, a similar style to what we've seen in, in the last couple of games. You just go direct to him. Big Kelvin, as his name suggests, is a big fella. So hopefully we can keep getting it to Aziz, get it to Fauna. I know Fauna has to always cut back onto his right, but he did put in a couple of decent crosses in in the game, including one I think did come from a, a Fauna cross for the... Um, I was about to say the second goal there, but I'll call it the Andy Carroll red card uh, was a corner from a from a fauna cross. So um, yeah, I think I think we just stick to the style and, and see see if Zhao and um, Big Kelvin can develop that link up play at, at Coventry and and Wigan and and hope that May takes back and can have maybe a half hour impact off the bench. Two more quick fire before we wrap up here. Stuart asked about the club one eight seven one time wasting that we talked about. Is it smart to be throwing the ball around, Alex? Does that really make the referee add on the extra time anyway when it's that obvious? Should we be a bit more subtle with the time wasting in the crowd? Uh, I don't really think it mattered in all honesty in the end. I think the first time it happened, there was six or five subs happening. Didn't really waste any time at all. And then the second time, it, it appeared like Lumley kind of told them to put the ball in the, back into the crowd anyway. Um, it looked like Lumley was probably the main instigator of that the second time. Not I'm not really sure it wasted any time because it was only about 30 seconds to go. I will say we are in the relegation zone. We don't, I get that we're trying to hang on for a point, but also we, we do need to win a game at some point if we're going to get out of it, probably. All right, last one from Charlie, and it's about Femi Aziz. How brilliant was Femi Aziz? Hard yards, fan interaction, great performance. How important is it that he continues to play this season and next season, Hugh? I, me, me and Alex touched on this um during the um, podcast we did with Kieran Maguire, where I said that Femi Aziz is exactly the kind of player we should be looking to develop because he makes the academy worthwhile keeping. If you have a talent like that, you should be giving him minutes. And I do think it's it's an absolute disgrace that Paul Ince, after one of the games where he was asked about Aziz, who'd come off the bench for 10 minutes, created one chance for someone else and then had a shot on goal himself in that 10 minutes he then turned around and went oh but it's for things you don't see like the defensive side well what I saw from Aziz yesterday was winning the ball high up the pitch supporting Yeardom defensively so it was just like well where what is this criticism about because he definitely puts in the hard yards on the pitch and give Aziz a full season as we've seen his free kick and corner delivery is brilliant he'll end up on 10 assists likely a minimum of five goals any championship player who's 21, 22 years old from out wide gets over 10 assists, five goals, is going for a minimum of five million in the summer. So there's your academy running costs for the season provided by a player. Like He, he should be playing as much as possible, in my opinion. Alex, anything to add before we wrap? That's a no. That is a no. Keep an eye out for the preview coming later today for the Coventry match. Really important to get three points. Paul, James and Matt will break that one down. I've been Jess Charman. You've been joined by Alex and Hugh on Elm Park Royals, supported by Blue Collar Foods. Thanks for listening.